So two of our two of our guests or one of our co-hosts and one of our guests today are feeling under the weather. So um, I'm thankful that they're they're battling battling their sickness to be here with us this morning and or evening for for some of them. We're we're across time zones, as is typical in the Web three community. So um, I think we 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 spread the world. <laughs> we have. Sarah calling in from Thailand and Beata, you're in in Germany, is that correct? Yes. Awesome. And we have Heinrich in South Africa, so we have another continent there. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, with the molecular count. Um, Just a quick comment. Whoever's logged in from LabDAO, I don't know, Boris or Lily, I sent you an invitation to speaker role. Um, If you didn't get it, feel free to request it. I'd like to put your account up on the stage. Um, yep. All right. Awesome. I think we can probably go ahead and, and start with some introductions. I Just for myself personally, I'm so excited about this space today and, and the lineup we have, and I wish we had more time with them to, to explore their interests and their journeys and what they're excited and passionate about. So um, would love to jump in. I, I'll have uh, Ariel, Ariella start with some introductions. All right, yeah, sounds good. Let's get started. Oh, and my voice is kicking in, wonderful. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to our first ever Web3 Women in Science panel. I'll be co-hosting the panel today. and We have a really great lineup of women working at the intersection of science and Web3. Um, Before we get started, there's a few housekeeping items. First of all, as we were just talking about, I do have COVID right now, so I don't normally sound like Voldemort, and I apologize for my voice and if I have to mute to cough for a little while, so please excuse me. Um, Second of all, please be advised that this event is being recorded so that we can share it with a wider audience that might not be able to attend today. And as for the agenda, the first hour is our interview with the panelists. And out of respect for their time, we won't be accepting additional speakers onto the stage um, during that first hour. But following the panel, there will be a large period for open discussion. And everyone's at that time is welcome to request a speaker role, um, as long as it's to discuss the topic of diversifying the intersection of Web3 and science, because that is uh, the topic of the space today. Now to just briefly introduce myself, I'm Ariella. I'm an MD, PhD candidate studying the genetics of aging at WashU. That's what I call my day job. And by night, I'm a science writer and illustrator. Lately, most of my night work has been in the Web3 space over the last six months, and I've really enjoyed getting into that. I mainly right now help oversee science communication at VitaDAO. I'm also proud to say I'm an ambassador for Surge Women, which is a Web3 group devoted to bringing more women and non-binary folks into the Web3 space with education and networking campaigns. I think we'll have someone from Surge joining us later in the second hour. Um, Finally, I'm helping with the community group at LabDAO, which is actually a science DAO co-initiated by my wonderful co-host Jocelyn. And that's a good transition to you, Jocelyn. Want to tell everyone more about yourself? Thanks, Ariella. And again, thank you for organizing this event. Ariella was really 
uh, this was her idea and, and she really spearheaded this effort. And I'm just excited to, to be here helping out. Um, a bit about me. Uh, my husband was really the first one who taught me about crypto from a finance perspective, but it wasn't until I started realizing the power of decentralization and um, the blockchain and how that might be applied to the scientific industry and some of the pitfalls um, within this industry that be I became really engaged in a number of these communities and ideas and um, started building in this space. So I've been involved in helping to launch LabDAO. I've also been involved in Open Access DAO. And I'm working on a podcast called Ultra Rare. We're going to have the first episode released um, next week, Tuesday, through a collaboration with Vita DAO. And the goal there is to just bring you into more conversations with the awesome builders in this space. And I see this event as, as a really great um, effort along those lines. So... Um, enough about me. Um, let's go ahead with introductions from all of our panelists. So Sarah, could you please start us off with a short introduction of yourself? Hi, everyone. Thanks very much. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here at the first one of these. Um, so yeah, previously in my previous life, I worked as a cognitive neuroscientist in academia. Um, I worked at University College London and, and King's College London, and I did my PhD at um, University College London. Um, I was mainly working on a multidisciplinary project, which was looking at Down syndrome, um, people with Down syndrome looking at dementia, aging, and also human intelligence. I then left a few years ago to work in industry, so I kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole. My brother's a crypto writer, and um, he started telling me all about this exciting world of crypto, and um, I spent a lot of time researching it all when I probably should have been writing my thesis. And then I left academia and I went and worked, I did a year in sort of fintech consulting um, and then I did two years in-house at JP Morgan. Um, and then last summer I left the corporate world and I went full-time Web3 um, after doing Kernel, Kernel Community, which is a peer-to-peer -peer learning network. Um, and now I run a Web3 consultancy called Phase3 and we're spinning out our startup links from that. Um, I think that's pretty much it for my intro. Thank you very much for having me. So thanks so much, Sarah. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, next, I was thinking maybe we could hear from Jessica. I first met you through LabDAO as well. Do you think you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your projects? Yes, thank you. Hi, so excited to be here. Um, I'm Jessica. I, I'm a microbiologist, so I did a PhD in microbiology um, in Canada, University of Alberta. And I kind of at the end of grad school, um, I was, you know, going to go along the academic track. But then I met uh, Jan, who's now my stage directory co-founder, and he convinced me kind of to pursue starting a startup. And I didn't really know that's what we were doing at the time. But that kind of drew me into the whole like way that the startup world works in the tech world. And just you basically just go see a problem and start fixing it. And um, so yeah, that was very new for me as a scientist. And so since then, that was four years ago, um, we've been working on Phage Directory and we, um, we started because people were using Twitter to coordinate life-saving treatments for people with antibiotic resistant infections. And so people, I was studying phages, which are viruses that kill bacteria. And I was studying them in the lab, but I didn't know we could be using them in patients already. But we saw this on Twitter. I showed Jan and he was like, this is your your field system. 
for, you know, connecting doctors and their patients with labs like yours to get these phages. I'm like, no, that, that's not our system. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, we can make a better system and make it into a system. So that's what we do now is coordinate um, phage hunts for doctors that have patients that antibiotics like have been used up, they don't work. And the patient is either going to lose their limb or die because of a bacterial infection. And this happens like everywhere in the world. It's like even in like very well-developed medical systems and countries. So um, we coordinate a community of scientists to do this. And I think with the Web3 world, I'm getting into it because honestly, it's like the same ethos that we've been um, pursuing the whole, you know, community driven work and um, kind of scientists that have to act outside of major institutions to get stuff done. I think that's so many parallels with Web3. So that's kind of why I'm interested in it is because we just feel like we've already been operating like a Web3 company for so long, doing things in a decentralized way, having all these labs around the world instead of one central place. So long story short, yeah, I'm excited to get, just keep diving into this, this whole world. So inspiring and such awesome work you guys are doing at Phage Directory. Thank you, Jessica. Nikita, would you mind telling us a bit about your background and current focus? Yeah, I love being on calls like this, too, because it makes me feel like the most unqualified person <laughs> to be here. So I'm excited to learn uh, from all of from everybody else. Um, I think I have a very unclear, strange alternative background in, into Web3. Um, I think of myself mostly as a cave explorer. Um, <clears throat> originally, I wanted to go to theology school. I spent a little bit of time thinking about joining a convent, actually spent some time in a convent uh, and decided being a nun was ultimately not for me. Uh, then went into healthcare. I worked in an insurance company and then was a healthcare investor. And now I uh, invest as an angel in healthcare and bio companies. And I work on special projects at a company called Truepill we partner with a lot of interesting stakeholders like manufacturers, pharma, biotechs, engaging with consumers, hospitals, and health brands. Uh, the reason I'm really excited to be on this call and one of the reasons I got really interested in um, Web3 was really around alternative infrastructures for change and action. A lot of that was informed by uh, a group that I'm a part of called Other Internet that has written uh, pieces about squad wealth and public goods. But ultimately, I think we create common infrastructure to empower people, or at least that should be the goal. Um, but I think we have seen now so many tools take on a life of their own and become counterproductive. Instead, they really paralyze us and turn us into instruments of their own doing, whether it's roads that have done that, classrooms and schools and institutions uh, in the life sciences and in healthcare. So that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about uh, Web3 is I think it give, is one of those things that's trying to give us the tools to reclaim research, development, and knowledge production. That's awesome, Nikita. Thanks. Um, thank you for that. And we're looking forward to hearing more about that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Truepill and you, you know, I also saw you make some announcements about, um, you know, being involved in Mark Cuban's work with the online pharmacy and price transparency, and I'm really passionate about all of that. So looking forward to asking you more about that later. Thank you again so much for joining us. Now, um, last but not least, 
my good friend Beata, um, could you please give us an introduction and tell us a little bit about your work at Molecule? For those who don't know, Beata is the operations queen at Molecule. <laughs> really um, respect her being the sole woman on the leadership team at, at this, um, you know, really amazing company. So yeah, please, uh, definitely last but not least, please welcome her. Thank, thank you, Ariela, so much. So uh, girls, first of all, thank you and shout out to both of you for organizing this, um, this uh, panel. And I must say that uh, Jocelyn, I'm still so much um, impressed by your podcast, Lady Scientist, and especially the episode with Dr. Alina Chan. Um, so I, I, I am still talking to, to people about COVID and I always refer to, to this episode. And to you, Ariel, as well. And thank you for, for your like, funny and, and approachable illustrations, in, especially in the Medium articles, because it's so helpful uh, for people, uh, you know, from outside science to understand it uh, a bit. Uh, yeah, so my name is Beata. Um, uh, I'm based in Berlin, but originally from Poland, where I studied. I have a double master's degree in humanities, in sociology and French philology. And I started my career with uh, working as a project manager at Google. I was coordinating the, the process of taking uh, panoramic um, pictures for Google Maps, but not the ones that you usually know from the car perspective, but um, the special collects, so inside historic landmarks or natural parks, or uh, for example, I did the whole, um, and the SNCF stations in France, so all the train stations um, uh, around France. Uh, and then I continued my um, experience in operations because I really enjoy working with people, organizing their work and trying, um, like I try my best to make their work as efficient and pleasant as possible. Uh, I joined Molecule last year in May, and actually it's my first um, experience with Web3, with startups, or with DAOs. Um, so I'm quite new to this space. And it has been so intense and so interesting that now I cannot imagine going back to crypto ever again, um, Corpo, not crypto, Corpo, sorry, ever again. Um, so at Molecule, I'm uh, operations manager, as Ariela mentioned, so I ensure that we operate smoothly, uh, that we hire the right people, that um, the people are happy at work. I try to unblock our founders, Paul and Tyler, from, from the admin work so that they can focus on the strategy uh, for Molecule and on our growth. Um, currently, we are having a big focus on hiring, uh, so I'm shifting a bit, a bit more to, to people operations. And we actually have a lot of open roles, and I would love to have more women on board. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm the only one currently. So girls, if you are interested, please check our careers page uh, and DM me. Uh, so a bit now about Molecule. So what are we doing here? Uh, we are building a marketplace, or we like to call it also an ecosystem, for new decentralized ways of funding scientific research, so DSI. <laughs> and we believe that drug development should be open and collaborative. Uh, and to achieve that, we are developing the IP NFT framework, 
which allows us to attach an intellectual property to an NFT, so non-fungible token. And uh, we are launching a lot of biotech DAOs. Uh, so first of them was Vita DAO. Uh, where the community can self-govern and decide about the future of, of these IP NFTs and their further development. Um, yeah, and we also like to call our discovery app an open sea for uh, scientific research. And for those of you who know um, NFTs, you know what an open sea is, for sure. For those who doesn't, please DM me, I will... <laughs> I will let you know because I'm a big fan of NFTs, as you can see uh, from my picture. And also I'm super jealous, Sarah, for, for your crypto coven. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's it from me. Thanks so much, Beata. Yeah, we can, we can definitely talk more about NFTs. I mean, I think the work that Molecule is doing is so cool because most people, when they think of NFT, they just think, you know, it's only for art NFTs. And of course, you know, that is a major sector probably the big, the most major sector of the NFT market. And, uh, you know, we're a fan of that. You obviously are. Sarah is. I am too, even though I haven't got my hands on many yet. I'm still new to this space. But what's really so amazing about Molecule is pioneering this IP NFT, um, you know, making intellectual property into an NFT. And I'm so excited to hear more about that over the course of, you know, this panel and hopefully many others. So thank you so much. Um, I want to move on from introductions now to start asking some uh, more in-depth questions for our panelists. So let's start with Jessica. You know, like we've touched on, Phage Directory isn't a Web3 company per se. It seems like, you know, you started it before really getting into the DSI space, but you've certainly been really active across many of our DAOs and discords and you're involved in LabDAO. You know, how do you, how do you think about operating a traditional company like you're doing versus what's happening in Web3? Are you thinking about transitioning or merging the two? Um, yeah, if you could just talk a little bit more about about your either your plans for Fades Directory or just your musings, if you're not in the plan stage yet for how Web3 could really be a part of what you do, because I think it's so important because I think that there's going to be a lot of listeners on this call who are maybe um, women in science, maybe they have their own organizations and maybe they're just hearing about Web3. And there might be some some people listening who want to bridge their organization from Web2 or traditional organizations to Web3. And hearing about you being in the middle of that process would just be so helpful. So, yeah, however you can talk about that, um, we would just love to hear from you. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Kind of you paint the picture that it feels true to me. Like we are operating phage directory kind of you know we obviously have been since before we knew about web3 but um now that we're realizing you know web3 the ethos and the tools um just match so well with what we've already been doing so naturally we'd be like okay how can we uh you know what is this and how might it overlap um and so yeah i, I think of web3 like i think a lot of people think of it as like, okay, you're a web three company because only if you're, you know, decentralized and the whole company is decentralized and everything is, 
like there's a there's a wallet that everybody's already using and um but I think I don't think about it like that more and more I think that you can have kind of a web3 company or you could have a company that's kind of in the web3 world but is a regular company using the tools of web3 and using and kind of adopting the ethos so tools and ethos um is kind of what I always come back to so with page directory, you know, we have all these research labs that are digging up phages from the ground. You can kind of find phages anywhere. So it really lends itself to kind of um, decentralization in a sense of like, we are not just one phage hunting organization. We kind of um, foster this whole group of people around the world doing it. And we're, we know that we can't do it alone. We have this, um, the community owned and driven aspect of it is key to it. And um, so that's kind of an example of like how it's the same kind of strategy or ethos, but also um, when it comes to tools, we're really cu curious about kind of, for example, LabDAO, that's what I've been diving into and my co-founder Jan has been too, um, because it just kind of, I kind of forget how I even found out about it, but it was just initially just like, okay, something in the web three world with science, like I'm going to be interested in that, but what is it? I don't know. And, but, but more as we got into it, we realized like there's a lot of ways we could get our phage community using LabDAO kind of as a tool. Um, for example, we've tried to get phage uh, researchers who are digging up phages, like ownership of their phages and figuring out how to, give them credit for doing the isolation of that phage, even if it goes on to go and be in a person and as a treatment. Um, that's been a big problem um, because it's hard to patent a nat natural thing like a phage. So and obviously if you're just a small lab, like working in the desert somewhere, you, you can't like afford to patent your phage, you know, but you still, you know, you want to, we want to incentivize sharing these phages so they can go on and do things um, in medicine. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I think of it. That's another example is that LabDAO, what if we can kind of use some of the tools that it's building? And I hope that we'll get into that more for those who aren't familiar. But LabDAO is kind of this decentralized community of, you know, doing biology, making it easier for anyone to just kind of jump on a laptop and like, you know, get a, a, an experiment done and get a whole project done maybe. And and um, and then with Molecule, like owning uh, research IP and making that ownable, like we can use some of these things with our phase director community. So that's kind of how I'm thinking of it is like, how can we overlay the two, but we don't necessarily have to make web three or make phase directory into a web three company. We don't have to like rescind our direction and just like make it all into like a voting structure to be able to be participating in like all the good stuff of web three. I hope that's not too convoluted. <laughs> yeah. Well, well um, sorry, Jocelyn, just before we move on, I just want to say, you know, there are other ways to be a Web3 organization besides being a DAO. You know, you don't need to in implement voting, um, you know, voting based governance like there are Web3 service providers. So it'll be really interesting, you know, to see how more of these forms of companies take shape. And it, and it could be that you find a way to merge the two. I don't think I don't think it would make sense, like you said, to sort of rescind what you've already done or abandon your legal jurisdiction. Legal jurisdictions, I think, are not having a legal any legal standing is the biggest downside of having a DAO. So if you have a company, 
with the legal jurisdiction and then you also implement some web three tools i think it would be the best of both worlds um but yeah sorry to cut in jocelyn go ahead no i, d- I just had a follow-on question for jessica i'm curious um you touched on you know the ethos of web three and also that you've essentially been doing a lot of community organization uh through phage directory so i was wondering if you could highlight one or two learnings from your experience as a community organizer and connecting these researchers to achieve a a common goal? Yeah, definitely. Um, Something that, you know, coming into this as a scientist, I think I, I was one among many that um, among scientists who like, we're working on these things, but we don't actually think that we can help anything in the real world right now with our research. Like, uh, And I was really, as we've been organizing this community, um, I'm realizing like kind of scientists, they're not, uh, they really are excited about translating their research, even if they're like full on regular academic scientists and they're not in that role yet. All they kind of needed is like a push and, um, or a pull or kind of just like someone waving a flag being like, hey, over here, you have pages, Um, just like email us uh, or put your name on this list. And just like a small push like that has been really, that's a key learning for me is like how much a small push can do. Um, You might, and it kind of goes for like any community building. I think all the people lurking in the background of every community, not getting engaged. I think of the scientists like that, like just the whole scientific community, a lot like that. Like they might be there, but they, they don't know how they can help. And um, so the, yeah, I can't emphasize enough, like the importance of just like waving the flag and and putting direction or just saying like, here, we're all going to meet here and we're going to do this. And here's the template. They love, people love just like having like an example, a template. So um, that's a a major learning. Yeah, Jessica, I love that because I think that the Web3 ethos is really, for me, one of the most important things to decentralize and open science. When I look at some of my favorite examples of what I've seen out there, let's say the COVID moonshot project, if anybody has come across that, that was a consortium of scientists and institutions across the globe. You had a tiny synthetic chemistry uh, company called Postera based in the US. You had the Weizmann Institute in Israel. You had Compass in UK, you had Memorial Sloan Kettering, you had a whole bunch of groups, I think University of Oxford as well, coming together. And what they offered just in the preclinical and discovery phase was a template. And that's exactly it. Um, There are a couple of people that are thinking about this and creating models around it, whether it's um, an ARPA model and how you can share models like ARPA or looking at um, what's going on with Ben Reinhardt, uh, Ben Reinhardt's community. I think that if we create more models people can turn to and believe that, yes, decentralized science can actually work because we've seen it in action, that's what I think both Web3 and open science can inform to each other. That's a great segue to our next question for you, Nikita, actually. And um, I was hoping you could just talk about how Uh, the VC sector is thinking about Web3 right now, um, just to start off. And then I want to jump into uh, a recent blog post you wrote about open science and how that's accelerating uh, drug development and drug approval. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a funny question because uh, I think 
bio people are confused and I think web three people romanticize the possibilities. Um, bio people, I think, are just, they tend to be pessimistic because they're used to a very tried and true model that is worn down. It has long timelines. Um, but on the Web3 side of things, unless you've actually worked in bio in some capacity, you don't have a full sense of what the competing priorities are and the massive differences between preclinical, clinical, each trial phase, what happens across all the different arms of commercialization, even, know, even knowing how that is distinct within one pharmaceutical company. For example, J&J &J is very research driven, but it's more so on the preclinical side. And that's obvious if you look at their reporting structure. If you look at AbbVie, AbbVie is very commercial. So I think to bring in more people who have come from the bio world, it's the job of folks in decentralized science and Web3 to make it clearer in models that they may understand. And I think you can look at IPFS and Protocol Lab as a model. They've made it a little bit clear whether it's using images, using frameworks to say, this is a distinction between the foundation, between the protocol, how DAOs can interact with this. Um, I, I think that that's really what's missing is you need to somehow bring in common language. When you look at who is a chief business officer at a pharma company, they've been in the industry for 20 to 25 years, maybe even more than that. So they've only seen one way, generally one way of doing things. Genentech was like, <laughs> Genentech and maybe Moderna and what's happening in mRNA is like the two big discoveries that have happened in their lifetime. So now Web3 is almost like this crazy thing that they definitely don't understand. Um, so I think it's a responsibility of all of us to play a role there. I think that's a great point. You really touch on the the contrast of these two worlds. And I think for many people who are starting to dive into the space, especially coming from like traditional biotech or pharma, just how foreign it can feel. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see, you know, even better integration. Um, so you're involved in special projects at True Pill. You wrote, you know, this great blog post about how the open science movement uh, is helping to advance, um, you know, drug discovery and, and drug approval by the FDA. Uh, can you talk about your work at TruePill and, you know, what some of the goals are there and how you see that relating to the ethos of Web3? I think when you look at TruePill, what we're trying to do is enable consumerization of healthcare. It goes back a little bit into what I was saying earlier in terms of um, common infrastructure empowering people. When we create a tool or we create infrastructure, they're supposed to do that. Whether I, I talked again, and I, I draw a lot on the philosopher Ivan Illich for a lot of this, roads powered human mobility. Classrooms and schools were supposed to power collective knowledge institutions, particularly in healthcare and bio, were to power collective healing. Um, and I think now when we look at the ways our institutions and our tools have gotten ahead of us and both we look at a drug and how I buy a drug from a pharmacy, um, what was the path for me getting that drug in the first place? Why do I even feel like I need to have a drug in the first place or a diagnostic in the first place? It's really how people see themselves living in the world. Um, so I for me, a lot of this is very philosophically driven. And that's one of the things I try to think a lot about at TruePill. It's not just how can we power the health brands that we've been working with, like the Hims and Nurxes, which are all fantastic, important companies, but it's how do we empower and bring what we're doing at TruePill from an infrastructure perspective uh, 
to a freestanding health clinic. A freestanding health clinic is um, something like a food pantry in the middle of Illinois that has people who are coming in every day, maybe, or maybe they come in once a month to get a meal. How can we provide and bring diagnostic devices to them or um, their collection of insulin that they're gonna have for the month? I, I wanna put that front and center in how we think about all the tools and things, uh, tools and infrastructure um, programs we help fund at, uh, at Trupo. To be honest, sometimes I'm not sure how Trupo informs some of the other things that I do in my life. Um, but I think that if you are personally grounded in what matters to you, and to me it's, we have as humans the ability, we, we have velocity if we, decide we want to have velocity and create new tools to do it because the ones that we're using right now don't don't do that so whether that's thinking about it from a common pool resources perspective i think um, mega map i think phage directory is a great example of this how can we share assets with each other so preclinical asset preclinical assets like a phage directory like microscopy images that people hold really near and dear for some reason or how do you start decentralizing biomarkers that somebody in one lab has identified, how can we share it with other people? Because we can only move science forward when we pool our resources together. When we share our notebooks, instead of, oh, if I'm a researcher and I read your paper, I have to email you five times for you to give me access to your data. Like, I don't think that that's, that's not what science should be if we care about development. Great points. Yeah, that's fantastic, Nikita. Um, <clears throat> sorry again for my voice, guys. It's the COVID. I have to <clears throat> clear my throat every now and then. All right. I'd really love to hear more from Beata now. Um, you know, like we touched on, Molecule has been part of developing multiple Web3 projects and DAOs in this space, like VitaDAO, LabDAO, SciDAO. Um, you know, you've been a part of this since the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about how things have been evolving, even even in the short period of time? I think we all know that in the crypto Web3 space, it seems like everything moves at lightning speed. You know, what would normally be taking 10 years in the regular world seems to happen within one year. Um, so, you know, how, what have you been seeing about how this space is evolving? What changes do you see coming? And uh yeah, what are you most excited about in, you know, that Molecule is currently doing or, or that's in the pipeline? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Molecule is getting so much recognition lately uh, from, from the biopharma world, uh, from uh, biotech VCs, and it's uh, overwhelming and exciting. So, um, yeah, people are, why, why they are um, talking so much about us. So, biopharma, as, as Nikita just uh, just said, is monopolized by big pharma, right? So um, they have so much power um, because they own uh, therapeutics, patents, and IP, and their decisions influence the, the, the whole market. So at Molecule, we are proposing this new solution, which is more inclusive and fair, um, because it is possible uh, to democratize ownership of IP and, and give this access to the broader uh, public. So uh, we actually proved that it is, it is possible. We did the first uh, IP NFT uh, transfer uh, at VitaDAO. 
And yeah, and it's the start of, of the new uh, era of, of drug development. And people are like, what? How? And Web3? <laughs> How it's possible? Yeah, so um, so imagine an ecosystem where, where actually a community uh, can directly fund research development and actively support it by you know, contributing their funds um, or their work or, or simply getting involved uh, in the DAO or just by sharing the news. And imagine that it can be a future where, where actually patients can have a direct impact on, on the therapeutics they need. So yeah, I'm, I'm the most excited about all the new bio DAOs that are booming. And I love how DAO represents, you know, this um, permissionlessness and how the bold new ideas are being implemented every day. And also how much trust and, and passion is in this community. Um, and actually how like investing in Web3 um, is a form of activism, you know, to create like a better world uh, of, of this collaborative um, scientific research. So I'm also excited about uh, PsyDAO, uh, which is a DAO with the goal of uh, funding research at the intersection of psychedelics and mental health, which is um, very close to my heart. And as um, a people operations lead, I'm also very uh, excited about the new way of uh, hiring people because um, hiring to a DAO uh, is, is completely different than hiring um, in a traditional way. You know, it's more dynamic, more flexible, and and it's 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 beautiful to see this uh, transition. Um, I'm also excited about the the thing that actually I heard a lot from Vincent uh, Advisor yesterday. It's the Vita Dao Fellowship Program, so funding um, uh, promising people that are entering the the longevity field, and uh, like funding them funding their projects with with need. Based grant, so it can be a grant from like a hundred dollars up to three k. And uh, Vincent told me yesterday that we, that we got so many applications from from like very very young passionate uh, scientists with uh, with beautiful bold ideas who who can conquer the world. And um, yeah, so that's that's a lot of things to be uh, excited about. <laughs> Such exciting work you guys are doing. I, I have so much admiration for it, Beata, and um, really encourage everyone to to go check out, you know, Molecule's webpage, their their job listings, and um, again the fellowships that that Vita Dao is doing. I think that's one of the exciting aspects of this space is that there's just so much encouragement of young talent as well. Um, it's really exciting to see. So. I'd, I'd like to um, move over to Sarah. You've also been kind of along for this DSI journey for quite some time compared to, to many of us. Um, and you, you definitely strike me as such a builder. You've been involved in multiple projects. And I know you're, um, you have your consulting company and now this new project, Lynx. So I want to give you some time to talk a little bit about Lynx and where that idea came from and what aspects of Web3 are kind of critical to the framework of this idea. So, 
Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, so myself and my co-founder Alexandra are building out our startup links. And really the idea came from well, a few different places. So my background, I, I said at the start, is cognitive neuroscience. And my PhD, I was focused on EEG, um, which is where you put electrodes on people's heads and measure what the brain is doing. And then I became really interested in this sort of emerging consumer EEG devices, so neurotech wearables. And I started following that space quite a bit. And I became really interested in how they're starting to be integrated um, with sort of more, more things like headphones, earbuds, so that they're actually becoming part of what you could constitute everyday life. And um, I was actually working on a Workplace of the Future project in industry, and they were interested in leveraging EEG technologies um, for the Workplace of the Future, you know, to entice employees back to the office, whatever it is that you want to do with these things, and um, give people a better user experience. For example, you know, like muting notifications on your desktop when you're in a state of flow or prompting you to give a break, have a break when you're stressed. Um, and so it came about originally partly from that because um, there's a need there where you can't really be seen to be collecting and companies don't want to collect their employee brain data, rightly so, but there's sort of no third party intermediary there. Um, and it also came about because I was following the neurotech space and I became very concerned of the centralization of these the, essentially people's brain data. You know, we're so used to handing over our data all the time to the likes of Facebook, et cetera. You know, when we have Elon Musk with Neuralink building um, invasive neurotech devices and, you know, selling them as consumer electronics, um, I think it's it's quite a dangerous future we're sleepwalking towards where we're we're going to be handing over our brain data to to people who will be trying to ultimately um, sell us things. And it's interesting in the news, I think it was last week, about the meta business model. It all came out as been to do with wearables in order to sell us advertising. So there was a, it's kind of like a perfect storm of different ideas. And this coincided with me learning a lot about Web3. As I said, I did Kernel last year. And I was always interested in like blockchain ever since like the start of Bitcoin. But I didn't know anyone like I didn't know anyone who was interested in tech. And I didn't really know how to buy Bitcoin or anything like that. And I kind of just didn't bother. And then it wasn't until my brother told me, I think it was 2017, about Ethereum. And he was like, oh, you can actually build on it. And I was like, what? And I became fascinated by it. And every so often I'd ask him about it. I was like, oh, is anyone doing anything with neuroscience and blockchain? And the answer would always be kind of like, no. And then um, I kind of went off myself and, and found some people who were doing, I guess, what we now call DSI last year. Um, and I kind of, yeah, became involved in the space. Um, so, yeah, to take us back to the original question. Sorry, I'm rambling now. Really giving you a really long story. Um, essentially, Lynx is it's a back-end management system for wearable biometric data. So that includes BCIs, but it's essentially all wearables. And as I said, this is important because the likes of Meta, et cetera, will be leveraging these wearables that we are all going to have increasingly integrated with our computers into our lives. And that will include brain data. And the idea is we can leverage different Web3 technology like cryptographic keys. And also we're really interested in compute to data where you don't actually send your data away. The algorithms come to your data, um, essentially giving you kind of like a privacy preserving infrastructure where the idea of handing over your biometric data to like a centralized third party will hopefully be the thing of the past. And especially when it comes to brain data, it would be nice to have a second option where we don't give it all to the billionaires of the world, frankly. Um, so yeah, so this idea that no third party will ever own your raw data again, but also the really exciting thing is it 
if you have a data wallet, which is essentially what, what Lynx is, you stream all your wearable data to a data wallet rather than sending it to a hardware provider, then the algorithms come to your data. This opens things up for holistic analysis of wearables. So for example, you could look at sports performance and you can look at you know the likes of your watches, which measure heart rate, et cetera, but you could also look at BCI data and look at how your concentration is, you know, et cetera, for things like tennis players or whatever, whoever wants to kind of gain that edge um, with those kind of insights, but also for digital medicine as well. Um, we're going to be increasingly seeing more and more algorithms become become medicine, especially with neurotech devices, with more closed loop devices where you have sort of quotation marks, read and write capabilities. Um, and then finally, of course, Web3 allows you to in, um, have tokenized rewards. So, you know, if people want to use our infrastructure to build cool experiences and give people tokens for sharing their data, then that's something, you know, within reason that we also want to be able to enable as well. So lots of different tools coming together, kind of perfect storm for um, my passion and Alex's passion of data and neuroscience. So hopefully that answered the question. That was great. and. Just for, for people who are new to the space, could you give a short introduction of what Kernel is and, you know, um, what aspects of it you would recommend? Oh, of course. So Kernel is a peer-to-peer -peer learning community. So there's lessons for free online for everybody. But the great thing about Kernel is they have different cohorts each year. I think it's like three or four a year. And then you will go through together and do weekly lessons together. And then there will be like a fireside um, and like juntos where you can kind of have smaller groups of people discussing and debating different themes essentially in in Web3, in crypto. So things like value and ownership, but also the more kind of like in-depth technical themes, um, things like consensus mechanisms, tokenomics. And this um, this coming block, I'm actually um, helping to run a DeSci guild. Um, so if anyone's doing the next block of kernel um, or has been on subsequent blocks, please drop by. There'll be a channel in, in kernel for that. But yeah, it's a peer-to-peer -peer learning network and they do a really great job at curating a really inclusive environment. So they give scholarships for underrepresented underrepresented minority groups in blockchain, which is really great. And um, yeah, they just um, have, have a very um, unique take, I think, on the tech world is, is something that I found. It's, it, they have a personal lesson and a professional lesson, for example, each week. Awesome. Love it. It's fantastic. Um, thank you to all the speakers for giving this, you know, in-depth insights into what you've been doing. Um, before we move on to some more general questions for all the panelists, I have a couple housekeeping items I want to reiterate. Um, again, we've been getting some speaker requests, and I just want to say speakers will be accepted in the second hour during open discussion, but right now it's just the hosts interviewing the panelists. Um, you know, that's our pre-planned programming. Um, if you really can't wait, we encourage you to tweet any questions or comments you have using the hashtag that I've been posting. Um, Web3 Women in STEM is the hashtag, and I'll be monitoring that hashtag, so please write whatever you want in any tweets and I might post it in the nest or address it during open discussion or add it to our threads. So please do that. Um, it, it also helps us spread the word about what we're doing here. And um, now for general questions, what I'd really like to start with is can anyone on the panel volunteer to define Web3 for people new to this space? Again, one of my um, main goals with this is to bring more women in science into the Web3 space. And, you know, education is a big part of this. And I've actually gotten a few DMs during the space saying, hey, I joined this because, 
you know, I follow you and, and I want to learn, but what is Web3? I don't know what's going on. So yeah, any any volunteers, you can raise your hand or just unmute yourself if you want to define this for us, or I can just pick on one of you. Maybe I'll pick on Sarah. You're a Web3 consultant. Oh, pick on I, you. I, was, I was literally just unmuting my mic. I awesome. thought I would give it a bash. Um, so the best analogy I've heard is like Web1, was kind of read only, um, which was the static web. I don't know, I'm showing my age now, but I don't know if anyone remembers back when the web was first around and you could make, um, there was kind of like just static websites, essentially. You couldn't really comment on things. And then web two was when you could read and write. So you could read from the web, but you could also comment on things. You could download things. You can kind of contribute to the web. And then web three is read, write and own. So not only can you comment on the web, um, read the web, but you can also own a piece of that infrastructure in itself. So instead of it being owned by centralized companies, you can form communities which own a part of it. But that's a really long rambling answer. And actually I recently wrote an article and I called blockchain web three all the way through. And I sent it to my brother, who's a crypto writer. And he was like, yeah, it's great, Sarah, but why are you calling it web three and not blockchain? It's the same thing. So I do want to demystify that it's, it's kind of, well, it's kind of the same thing, but also in caveating that blockchain is is a part of the, the the wider sphere of any kind of distributed ledger technology. So blockchain is is just one of those. I oh I feel like I gave a simple answer now. I've caveated it with a really complex ending of DLTs, but um, maybe someone else can have a better go than I did. Anyone else want to jump in? How about you, Jessica? You wrote a whole blog post on the potential of Web3 in this space <laughs> for newbies. I, oh I really gosh. love I really love your blog post. It's really accessible. And also just for anyone here, I've been posting a lot of tweets up in the nest, which is what we call that the little thing at the top where I can post some tweets. And I think the the third most recent one is um a post is a tweet by Jessica talking about her blog post about what Web3 is and what it could mean for science. So if our answers here aren't in-depth enough for you, I really encourage you to check out that blog post. But yeah, Jessica, can you give us a Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version? Yeah, um, yeah. And I like, I really like Sarah's definition because um, I'm like totally new to the Web3 space. But for me, it was like all these words circling, Web3, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, like metaverse, like are they all the same? Are they all one? Are they all different? Like, what is it? So I think of Web3 as kind of the umbrella term on top of all of those terms. And um, but definitely I go through like Web1, Web2, Web3 in my mind to like come back to what it is to me. But um, and I, I've never heard Sarah's version. I love it. But I'll, I, I tend to think of it like Web1 was when no one really owned um, the web and people were really it was all open and sharing like, you know, email emails the same you know for no matter what email kind of uh, i'm i'm not gonna go into it but okay no one really owned it web 2 uh then it started getting owned by like facebook and that's what i think of these walled gardens like that and um and web 3 is really when you like the users the creators the contributors are actually owning it so it's definitely about ownership at its core to me and uh, and it's and blockchain i think of as kind of like the underlying reason we can have it like the foundation or like the railroad tracks that actually enables ownership so it's like a key it's kind of like it's why it's like a synonym for web3 because without blockchain we wouldn't have it in my mind but 
this is me being very new to it, so I don't want to be the one defining it, but that's how I think of it. And when I think about it and science, I just, the blog post goes more into the, how does it mean for science? But um, it's all just kind of my exploration. I think we're still defining what it means. Thank you, Jessica and, and Sarah, for helping us define Web3. It is still such an amorphous and fun space, I think, to live in. And um, for me personally, getting back to the ethos mentality of it, I just feel like it's this very mind-expanding space, um, lots of ideas forming. And again, just the, the principle of decentralization is really appealing um, to myself as a scientist. So thank you for helping us understand this space a little bit better. I want to segue um, to ask all of our panelists what it has been like working as a woman in the Web3 space. And, and if um, perhaps Beata could, could start us off, that would be great. Um, sure. So I'm also still new to the space. Um, as I uh, said before, I just joined in, in May. And when I joined Molecule, I joined Web3. Um, so my experience is, um, yeah, so when I joined, I, I didn't actually have like a buddy to, to introduce me to all the NFTs and, and blockchain and like answer my most basic, uh, sometimes stupid questions about like wallets and, and things because I started working, you know, so I needed also to do work, not only learn. So I was feeling uh, intimidated and a bit uncomfortable asking uh, those questions out loud, especially in a big group of a very clever men. Um, <laughs> so yeah, all, all of my colleagues, they were already in this space for a long time. And they were used to, you know, all the acronyms, um, uh, all the, all the, this, this new language um, that I didn't understand and they didn't maybe they did not pay uh, so much attention to, to me not understanding that. So, yeah, the language sounded very gibberish for me and sometimes still does. So it is a lot of learning. Um, and and uh, I know that if I were onboarded by like someone who had a similar story or, you know, a, big, a bigger like sensitivity um, to say, for example, to 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 say, hey, I also did a mistake. Like, for example, <laughs> the first time I, I heard an, an, um, a term open sea, I literally <laughs> thought that it is a metaphor for all the possibilities uh, that uh, of NFTs, you know, and not just an online marketplace for selling NFTs. And I was like, face palming myself so much. Um, yeah, so I think that if I would have such a body um, and I would um, would have this possibility to ask all these questions, maybe my transition could be much easier. So um, this is why I, I am so strongly uh, for um, diversity and, 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 and hiring more women and getting more women on board to our DAOs and to, to our company, because I think that um, this representation matters so much, um, you know, and uh, for, for ma the majority of people, it requires a lot of strength to speak up, um, especially when you're alone. Um, yeah, so, 
So I would like just to make sure that um, uh, that the space, uh, the the DAOs uh, are also open to to everyone uh, who are just interested. And I just wanted to let you know that that you are not alone, and you can <laughs> always DM me with with your stupid questions because I was there and sometimes still am there, and it is like a long learning uh, experience. Um, yeah. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I love what you were saying because I think fundamentally a lot of people don't know what the fuck they're talking about, um, especially in Web3, right? Like a DAO can mean a million and one things. Um, and, and it all gets conflated and it's all confused because we're still at a very foundational building level. Yeah, uh, I didn't come in earlier to say what I thought Web3 was, but that's because I think Web3 is a really big misnomer. Um, at the end of the day, I think what decentralized science is, it's about protocol. And I think protocol is tied very deeply to technology. It's about incentives and incentive design. And then lastly, it's about ownership. And I think it's those three things. So yes, there is what you could argue a traditional Web3 component around DAOs and NFTs, even those are fairly new. But ultimately, I think it's those three things, protocol, incentives, and ownership. Um, but I think also when we get a little too pulled into looking at what has already happened in the Web3 world, we think that a lot of this can just be raw technology. Like the, even just the idea of the lab in the cloud isn't real. That doesn't even exist today because you cannot do it today. So I don't want to, and I think the community should never get too untethered by thinking everything can just be an abstract internet-based technology right now. Even computational bio to actually do something at the end of the day in drug discovery will mean at some point you get to the wet lab because we're in many ways still years away from doing very material things. Um, that are just raw technology based. Great points, Nikita. And did you want to speak at all about, you know, diversity and inclusion or, you know, the makeup of some of these spaces within Web3 right now? There's certainly fewer women. Um, you would be blind not to see that uh, in Web3 and in crypto. But a solace that I take in a lot of this is my perspectives are very different from other people's. I come in with a really different background and perspective on how I see the world. I think it's incredibly important to make moral claims about what you're doing. And I think people in Web3 and crypto are too scared to do that. I think that you can hide behind technology that just has a idea of a trait, like decentralization is just a trait. Um, I want people to start talking more about what their values are and what their morals are. And I think that that's something that I think a lot about um, in terms of, of my values. So I, I just have a different perspective on way, the way I see the world and the way I see Web3. And I think I there's a lot of value in that. It's beautiful, Nikita. I just wanted to echo that, that we urgently need the diversity, like to hear other points of view and to bring more, more value to make other people also feel like invited and unseen. And um, I can give you an example, like uh, 
before Ariela um, announced this uh, this weird spaces and I was like oh no I need to prepare I need to like see what what other women are talking and last Saturday I joined one of the spaces that actually actually you Ariela um, joined it was uh, women in web3 and stem I think and it was so good you know it was so different from from uh, other uh, Twitter spaces because it was led by women and they were like so inviting um and yeah, and and after that, I actually uh, opened more in the, the, our um, women of Vitadao group on, on Discord. And just yesterday, we had uh, an AMA uh, for the new joiners. And there is there is a girl, and she wrote a, a like a beautiful medium article about uh, Vitadao because she wanted to understand because she's studying um, um, molecular bi- biology. And I just read that article, and it it was so clear that she didn't understand our our white paper. And I reached out to her, and I was like, "Hey, maybe I can help you understand that." And she was like, "Yes, thank you, because it's so cryptic to me, because I had no in- experience in Web three, and it's just I cannot understand it." So so now actually we are we are planning uh, at Molecule and VitaDAO to to create uh, some more learning materials for people joining the space because we want. Like everyone who who is interested and who wants to join and who doesn't understand to just um, bear with us and um, and we we will have those materials for you guys for for you to to learn uh, easier and to have uh, uh, an easier learning curve. Hey, hey guys, um, I Nikita. I think she has to jump off for a work call, so I just want to give her the opportunity to. Um, you know, to sign off. Sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have to jump, but if anyone has any questions or things I want to talk about more, my DMs are always open. I try to write about topics related to this. And again, thank you so much to Beata and Ariel and Jocelyn for putting this together. It was awesome. And all the other institutions as well, involved as well, from Surge to Phage, Vita Dow, Molecule, et cetera. Thank you all so much. Thank you thanks. so much, Nikita. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And um, <clears throat> we are going to move to open discussion soon. Um, I know we're a couple minutes behind, but I do want to ask the panelists one more question before we start to uh, <clears throat> before we start to transition to the open space. It's a very important question. Um, I want to ask what advice you have for leaders in this space who care about diversity and inclusion. You know, any best practices. Um, one of the thing, one of the reasons I started this space, one of the things that I like to say is that there are a lot of groups like women and people of color and um, queer folks who are under, both underrepresented in STEM and also underrepresented in crypto. And so when we get into decentralized science, you know, Web three science, it's kind of underrepresentation squared. And uh, I'd really like to know what you think leaders you know here listening should be doing about that does anybody want to jump in first if not yeah go ahead sarah yeah i I had a few ideas on this um so i think 
firstly, obviously, tar- try target your recruitment at like women networks. So, for example, Surge, Meta Gamma Delta, Herdow, etc. But also, it's more than that. It's actually performing outreach to women in tech communities, and you could sponsor training. Like you can do, if you can do those kinds of things as well. You can get more women into the Web three space to begin with. Um, and then another thing which is really overlooked is retention, right? Okay, so if women join a team and there's like a bro culture or they feel like they're not listened to or they're not respected and it's more like a tick box, they're going to leave. Um, but then the flip side of this is you have a network effect. So myself and my co-founder, we're, we're an all-woman team. And because of that, we have lots of women contacting us all the time, wanting to join what we're doing and because they're really motivated and excited by it and want to be part of a team with more women on it. So it will be a network effect. If you put the work in and you ensure that those women feel valued and don't leave, then more women will want to join your company. Um, so yeah, they're just a few points. I'll give other people a, a chance to speak as well, but they're the kind of the things which are closest to my heart. Yeah, Sarah, I fully, I fully agree uh, with you on that. And like, I'm, I must say that this community is welcoming and and open, but it is not diversified. So sometimes they, um, uh, guys, they they just don't see other you know points of view. And uh, this is why I would love to see more women in the leading positions, and I would love to see our first female steward in in VitaDAO. Uh, I would love to see more uh, ladies also onboarding newcomers because they are so good at it and I think they have so much empathy. And yeah, I will just refer one, one more time to this um, to these Twitter spaces that I joined last uh, Saturday that I was just so amazed by, by how safe and supportive this group was. So my advice would also be to to just create those groups uh, which are smaller, but um, that just encourage girls to um, ask more questions and it just uh, speeds up the process of learning. Um, and yeah, my, my also other advice is just for, for those girls who, uh, who are afraid to speak up in a broader group or just uh, being afraid of asking stupid questions just to seek smaller groups or to seek a buddy um, who could um, help them and, and answer those questions. Because uh, for me, for example, this, this experience from yesterday with this uh, girl writing an article in, on Medium, like it's, I'm, I'm helping her by um, just um, reading her article and, and helping our understanding our white paper, but also she is helping me with building learning materials because you know, I, I cannot go back to the first point when I joined and didn't understand because I already know all that stuff. So I need a person who doesn't know so that I can prepare better learning materials. Thanks, Liara. One thing before we move on, I just want to comment that, in, you know, Beata is responsible for um, in the VitaDAO server. She pushed to get a channel specifically for um, women who join. You know, to have this more this space to form a community together as a as a minority group, and so now if you do join the VitaDAO server, please reach out to one of us to get you added to that channel. If if you want to talk to other women in the space and have that smaller, um, you know, diversity centered um, community to ask questions and make comments and push for more diversity initiatives. So thank you so much for getting that off the ground, Bayada. I know I speak for all of us when I say we really, really appreciate it in such a male dominated space. Um, Jocelyn, over to you for wrapping up and transitioning. Yeah, great points, everyone. I just 
want to give our panelists an opportunity if they have any additional shout outs, places to find them, like Nikita said, um, if their DMs are open. I also want to mention Sarah has started a Women in Web3 Telegram um, that we will link below the original tweet for this space. Um, feel free to join that. That's a great space. I'll, and do, that. I'll do that right now. So great. it'll be there soon. Yeah. And, and, and then we'll segue to questions for, our, for everyone. So um, feel free to request to speak and come on up and, and ask our panelists your questions. So any last shout outs from, from Sarah or, or Jessica or Beata before we start with questions? Uh, yeah, thanks for plugging the Telegram group. Please join. Um, also, um, our Twitter's links underscore technology. But um, yeah, join the Telegram group. But also, you know, go out and set up your own groups. Start talking to women in your community. And it doesn't even have to be an online community. If you're in a lab, start a little journal club about DSI or something like that. So yeah, just go out there and make some noise. <laughs> I love that. I just wanted to say too, the the whole concept of um, finding a buddy, I love that term. I didn't think of it before, but I've been thinking about this whole value of one-on-one -on -one for getting people in. And I think that's really what works. And I notice a pattern that like Jocelyn said, her husband told her about crypto. In my case, it's Jan, my co-founder, who's the reason I'm in this. And like everyone, Sarah's brother was the one who kind of told about it. So I think like it's... Um, finding just like and if you're on the other side of it you know you're like all well versed in crypto like find don't don't feel like you have to bring in all the women and all the underrepresented people find like literally one person and just be like hey i'm gonna like keep checking in with them and be like hey have you seen this like just that's your buddy and that like i just feel like that's what we really need and that's what's helped me and um, that'll help us keep going because definitely there's not a lot of women, but, and with this whole permissionless world, it's going to be even more likely that I think we're going to, um, you know, perpetuate these negative, um, representations or like low representation because now we're, we're in this like open playing field where you have to just like jump up and put yourself out there to like, everyone's, you know, we're selecting for people who do that. So we have to actively be like pulling up all the people who aren't. Um, just like that personality. So yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to add. Great point. Thank you, Jessica. 